Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Go from dragging yourself to work each day to finding a job you love. The Career Spring program is for high achieving and ambitious mid level professionals like you who are looking for a job that uses your zone of genius, recognizes your value, and pays you what you're worth. If you're ready to learn more, schedule a complimentary consult using the link to my calendar in the show notes. Be sure to follow me on Exclusive Career Coaching on Facebook. Lisa Edwards on LinkedIn and Lisa.Edwards on Instagram. Greetings. How's it going? How is your fall? We're recording this in July, but I am in eagerly anticipating college football season, which will be in the throes of when this comes out. So go Knowles. Those of you that have heard me on the podcast before know that I'm a Florida State grad and, and we are mounting a comeback in Seminole land. So hopefully we are doing so when this comes out. We have another guest today. I'm so excited. You know, I don't have guests very often on the podcast, and I only have ones that I think can really complement the topics that I talk about and really play in our same sandbox that we play in here with high-achieving career management tips and strategies and job search things. And today we're going to talk about how to turn yourself into a blue-chip stock, which I think is a really interesting concept. We're going to start with a definition. But before that, I want to say thank you to Dave Perry for being on the podcast with me. Well, good morning or good afternoon, depending on when people are listening to this. (laughs) Thank you for having me, Lessa. I'm quite excited. You've had some interesting podcasts that I've listened to, and I said, hmm, I think I might be able to add some value. So that's why I approached you. Excellent. And it's Lisa, by the way. Oh, I that's thank okay. You. That's okay. Everybody calls me Lisa. <laughs> why don't you start? You. That's okay. Why don't you start by introducing yourself? So my name is David Perry. I'm the managing partner of Perry Martel International, which is an executive search firm. We're headquartered in Ottawa, Canada. My business partner is my wife. We are in our 33rd year. We recruit on five continents. I've now personally done 1,593 searches. We have a one-year warranty or one-year guarantee, and I've replaced six people in 35 years. So the two years when I was in another firm, two of them were, and 33 years on our own. I myself have now billed, not billed, I have now negotiated more than $400 million in salaries. It doesn't include bonuses or stock. And I've written a couple of books. The one that job hunters or career professionals may be most familiar with are the Guerrilla Marketing for Job Hunters books. Version 3 is out. Guerrilla Marketing for Job Hunters 4.0 is underway. I've written two manuals for employers, although it's great insider advice for job hunters and career management people. One is called Executive Recruiting for Dummies. It's an executive, it's a dummies book. And I also wrote Hiring Greatness, How to Recruit Your Dream Team and Crush the Competition, which sold about 50,000 copies in North America and sold over a million copies the first year in in China in in modified Chinese. I think that's, and I got four children. I I think that's about everything. (laughs) Four children. So you're not busy at all is what you're saying. There's nothing Never. really going on for you. It sounds like a kind of a boring life. All right. <laughs> I've been in neutral for a long, long time. 
spice up my life. Come on, Lisa, spice up my yeah. life. Yeah, if you want, if you and I see N on the drive shaft, it does. I don't know what it means, but it's not neutral for us, so we don't have nitro. 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 There you go. Nitro. I like it. So let's start with let's start with defining this this concept of a blue chip stock. I think most people have heard the expression of blue chip stocks, but they might not know what it is. And we certainly maybe don't know how, what that means in terms of an employer, an employee being a blue chip stock. So talk to us about that. So thanks for asking. So here's the concept, and we were trying to. This, this came about during a, a presentation I was given in, in Detroit to about a thousand people, and I was trying to explain to people. Why employers hire? Employers only hire, and you know this stuff, um, so it's it'll it'll ring true to you. Employers hire for one of three reasons: someone can either make them money, save them money, or increase their efficiency. It's all about staying in business, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, to, and to drive that home, we were focusing in on you know how, how why you need to talk about accomplishments in your resume and everything you do, but specifically that for that time in your in your resume in terms of. Instead of discussing what you're responsible for, like responsible fors and resumes, which yeah. nobody cares, you talk about accomplishments and everybody has them. And But how do you do it so that you come off as a blue chip stock? And by blue chip, you know, everybody knows what a blue chip stock is. It's, it is a blue chip company is a company that is highly valued and consistently has good returns. When you buy a blue chip stock, you know you're going to get X pretty much every year. You know, a blue chip is also the highest value chip if you happen to be to Vegas, right? You go into Vegas, the, the poker chips, the highest value ones are typically blue. So how do you become a blue chip stock as an employee or how do you become a blue chip stock as a job hunter? Well, it's, uh, it's actually pretty simple. You determine what it is that you've done that you can actually put numbers percentages and values and dollar signs behind. And that's what you focus in on in terms of your resume, your cover letter, your personal brand, your LinkedIn profile. And, you know, there's stuff you do before you get a job. There's stuff you do after you've gotten a job. And there's stuff you do that, you know, sort of accelerates your career forward. Does that help? It's all blue chip. I can so identify with what you're saying about how you present yourself. Of course, as as a master resume writer, that's a main focus for me. And I was on a, I think it was a LinkedIn thread recently. And there was a guy who was kind of arguing the point that achievements just aren't that important. And that he, when he writes resumes, he just likes to say, you know, what they've done. And, and I just, I pushed back and he, I just decided that we were not, I said, we'll have to agree to disagree. Knowing that everyone around me who was a credentialed resume writer who was in on this thread was, was like, Lisa's right. You're wrong. (laughs) So it was very interesting to think that he, he just thought that they weren't useful. All right. Well, you, can I can I make a comment, Lisa? Absolutely. So, so I, you know, I have a problem, and there, I, I came on your show specifically because I went pretty far in depth with your podcast. I was listening to them. I went through your LinkedIn profile. I know where you stand. I understand the kind of work you do, and not everybody's is is cut from the same cloth. So you're special, and and and, and, and folks, if you're listening to this, we, we don't know each other. This is the first time we've actually talked, but I can tell you're special because. Resume writers like that, and I've met a lot of them. I mean, anybody can say they're a resume writer. In fact, anybody can write a resume, and they're probably just as good off as anybody else, unless they've actually been professionally trained. And a lot of people that say accomplishments don't matter do so because 
They're also quote unquote career coaches. So here's what happens when people, resume writers like that will write a resume, people will use it. It won't get the results they want. They'll come back to the resume writer and they'll sell them the next product. The next product is, oh, well, here's how I help you present yourself to potential employers. It's a way for them to get more money. So, you know, you're absolutely right. Accomplishments are absolutely vital and and nobody cares. As a recruiter for 35 years, I don't know how many resumes I've I've read over the years, but it's got to be over 100,000. In all the deals that we've done, the only reason an employer has ever hired one of our candidates is because they could make the money, save the money, as I said, or increase their their efficiency. Nothing else matters. And people don't care who you are until they understand what you've done. And they're not being impersonal and they're not being myopic. It's just that there's so many people out there when they're looking for work. There's so many people out there saying, you know, I am, I am, I am. And the only thing you can do is prove when I say I'm a superstar, I'm an out of the box thinker. I mean, everybody uses those phrases. So that's wonderful. Now prove it. And Lisa, you understand what people need to do to prove the statements that they make in their resumes. And obviously this individual that was on LinkedIn that you're discussing hasn't got a clue. Good news is they won't be in business very long. Bad news is they're going to damage people on the, on the way through. Yeah, exactly. I've seen I've seen horrible things come out of of so-called resume writers. One of our kind of guiding principles is show it, don't say it, right? So don't don't tell me that you're passionate. That doesn't really serve any purpose in the resume. Give me all kinds of evidence of your passion. Etc. So, all right. So, we are definitely on the same page about resumes and and LinkedIn profiles and those kinds of things. So, we've got this concept of being a blue chip stock. And as I think about the language that I use with my clients, we talk about branding and being being a a, a preferred brand as opposed to being the generic candidate, which either means you're going to be cut at some point in the process because the company is great and doesn't want generic, or they're not a great company, they're not offering great benefits, generic is going to be what they can afford, and that's what they're going to pay you. So you want to be a brand name or a blue chip stock. So is this something that employees, it sounds like it's something that they need to do right from jump in the hiring process, not just wait until after they get the job. What does this look like during, let's say, the interview process? Well, it starts even before the interview process. And you can stop me at any point if I go, if I go off on too much of a tangent. So in Guerrilla Marketing for Job Hunters, the first edition, there were four different types of resumes. And I I outlined all of them, including the one that you typically uh, use. When I did the follow-up versions of Guerrilla Marketing for Job Hunters 2 and 3, we only talked about the one-page Guerrilla resume because most people aren't great at writing resumes. And most people don't understand why they should hire a professional and pay a few thousand dollars, you know, to get a better job that pays, you know, a a couple of tens of thousands of dollars more. So we opted to write about just one resume, one format, and that was the Gorilla resume. And it's a one pager. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They're, you know, black and white or black text on white paper. But uh, the differentiator is they've usually got full color logos or quotes down the left-hand column. And a gorilla resume has, and I'll circle back to answer the full question, the gorilla resume has an objective or a summary, a proof section, that's what we've been talking about, a select accomplishments section or a special skills section, an experience section, 
education training and, and a couple of others that, that may be important. And what you want to do is before you ever focus in on, if you're looking for a job, before you ever focus in on talking to companies, and I'm sure you train people to do this, they need to sit down and figure out what, mark, what their marketable skills are. Once they've done that, where they want to work. And we tell people to, to pick their top 10 companies. And then we ask them to do something a little bit different. We ask them to network with the newly departed. And what I mean by that, Lisa, is rather than trying to network yourself into one of the companies in your top 10 list, because most people that are at a company that you want to network your way into can't really talk openly about the company. So you're not really going to discover much of anything. And if there's a recession going on or if they've got a hiring freeze, they're going to block you, or at least they're not going to help you. So the easier way to do that is to go and find people who used to work at that company. So it's called networking with the newly departed. You, you throw the name of the company in, the, the department that you want to work in, the word resume, and then the negative sign and apply and throw that into Google. And it'll bring you back all the resumes of the people that used to work in those companies that you have an interest in. And all you do is find someone that's been there or been gone for six or nine months and you pull up their resume because right there on the internet and you pick up the phone and you say, hi, Lisa, my name's David Perry. I know that you used to work at ABC Corporation. I'm doing some research. Can I ask you some questions? I'm going to say yes or no. It's binary. They say no. It's like one time out of 10. I've never heard of anybody getting yelled at for this. But And then you, and if they'll ask, well, well, why should I help you? And you just say, well, I'm doing some research. I'm, you know, if they keep pressing you, you say, I'm doing some research for my job search. And I know you used to work at this company. And before I spent any more time, any of my valuable time going and networking my way in to, to this company, I want to talk to someone that's actually worked there firsthand and then make a decision about whether or not I want to actually talk to them. And, and you know, 99 times out of 100 people say, fine, what do you want? And then you ask them the questions you want to ask. And what you do when you're doing this is you're doing a couple of things. You're finding out firsthand what the real issues are at that company. You need to know that. And you're also finding out about that your potential boss, your potential boss's boss, are they great to work with or are they schmucks? Because, yeah, I mean, and we've all had this experience either personally or professionally where you're working for a company and someone goes for an interview and they're, the, the hiring manager is fantastically wonderful in the interview. And then you're there week number one and you find out they're a schmuck. And, you know, that's just sort of derails things. So the best thing to do is find out ahead of time if they're a schmuck. So you find that out. But you also find out what their burning issues are, right? And then all of a sudden you go, oh, okay, well, my accomplishments are these three things and their issues are these three things. So now I understand where there's a fit. Now you can start to craft your resume. You can start to craft your cover letter. You can start to craft your voicemail messages that you're going to leave. And they're going to be honed in and tightly focused on that particular hiring manager at that company whose issues you know they have that you can solve. Mm -hmm. one, of the best, one of the best ways to get in, despite whether you use a gorilla resume or a traditional resume, one of the, the best ways to get in, and you can Google this, is it's called the Starbucks coffee cup caper. Uh, just Google Starbucks coffee cup caper. And that essentially is a tactic for getting behind the scenes quickly into an organization that you're interested in, whether they're advertising your job or not, that's not relevant. You want to talk to the hiring manager and you'd use the, the Starbucks coffee cup caper 
because that, that'll deliver your resume. You'll get an email notification from FedEx that your package has arrived. And you wait 45 minutes and you pick up the phone and say, hey, Lisa, David Perry, I think you got my package. And they usually laugh. And then you start a conversation. And, and what you simply say is, you know, in doing my research, and by the way, Bob and, and Jill both say wonderful things about you, if they gave you permission, and they say hi. And they know that we're going to try and have this conversation. I know that you have this issue that I've solved before. And I'd be happy to sit down and have a coffee with you. That's what this letter is all about. Yeah, you'll notice in the footnote, it says, you know, P.S. will be calling you sooner than you may think. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you haven't, but, you know, it says at the bottom of the letter. And that's why I'm calling. I'm calling to set up a, a coffee date. I mean, and this is perfect for Zoom. It's perfect for COVID, right? Because you can actually send freeze-dried coffee in the mail as well. So that's how, that's how you take your accomplishments and you marry them up with your marketable skills and you make your entry into the situation. And the Starbucks coffee cup caper, if you, if you Google it, you'll get a couple thousand hits, is now so well-known inside Starbucks. I have two daughters that work there. So well-known inside Starbucks that, you know, you can go into a Starbucks almost anywhere in North America and ask them for 10 blank cups because you're sending the cups in the box. You have to Google the uh, Starbucks coffee cup caper. It tells you how to do it. And they'll give them to you for free. And they'll ask, is this for a, you know, a coffee cup caper? And you'll laugh and say yes. So, you know, that's a way to take your accomplishments and show them, as you said, that you're a blue chip stock. And, and that's where it starts, on the way in. And then when you're in the interviews, you focus in on their issues that you can solve and how you did it. And, you're in, you know, and, and be as specific as you can and as open with information because a lot of people worry that you're going to give them the answer and they're going to do it without you. Eh, you know what? I, I think I've only ever seen that once and I've been at this for 35 years. Frankly, ideas are a dime a dozen. It's the implementation. Mm -hmm. So if you know how to do this stuff, they're going to hire you. Maybe it's for a contract. Maybe it's for a full-time job. It depends on the seriousness of the issue they have. And then once you're in there, you just need to continue to focus on their needs and show that you're that blue chip stock that they just can't do without. And once you're, and I say to people all the time, the way you keep this up is really quite simple. The way you keep this up is you do one of a couple of things. You can join an association, you know, that is all about the business that you're now in. And you can report back, literally, you can type a quarterly or a monthly newsletter on your own time that says, went to this meeting about, you know, climate change. And these were the things that were discussed. And these are some of the ideas I came back with that our company can use. And these are some of the people we should talk to. If you do that and you can start your own company newsletter, it takes you, I don't know, how long does it take to go to a meeting and back four hours, once a month? Type, type something up, hour, hour and a half. You know, if you're smart, you record it in a digital recorder, plug it into a device and have it transcribed and you're done. And you start to, to, you start to create your own value and you become the oracle, so to speak, inside your organization that has this information that everybody needs. And if you're not up to doing that, then you really need to consider becoming a mentor for, to some of the, the, the junior staff. And by junior staff, you know, if you're in your mid-30s, you already have more experience than a lot of the people that are in positions below you. So start to help them out. Start to show them what to do and start to talk about your team. Because now, you know, I've got a new book coming out, Girl 4.0, that's wonderful. But I've got a new book coming out called uh, Rules for Revolutions Need Leaders. 
And it's all about Industry 4.0. And Industry 4.0 is the fourth industrial revolution. The first one was about uh, steam, then electricity, then computerization. And the first three industrial revolutions were all about how we you know, cut people out of the picture to make things more efficient and, and make more money. Fourth industrial revolution is completely the opposite. It's all it's the knowledge worker revolution. And it's all about how do we create value so that we, we continue to stay in business. And the only way you can create value is to put people's ideas together and create new products. And, you know, the perfect example of this is HP and printers. You know, a couple of years ago, they were coming out with a new printer every 90 days because that was about the life expectancy of a printer. So, you know, the life expectancy of an idea right now, because we're all connected through the internet, we're all connected through our cell phones, the life expectancy of an idea is about the same as the shelf life of a, of a banana, <laughs> right? And because we're all connected, because we're all connected, whatever I have as an idea today is, could be common knowledge within about 48 hours. So, you know, how do you, how do you innovate in that kind of situation? Well, you can only innovate if you have groups of people working together that trust each other. So high EQI, high emotional intelligence, high corporate intelligence, high relationship intelligence, and will come together to work as a team. And as a team, knowledge workers are interesting in that you can't force someone to give you one of their ideas. You can't force someone to participate because the knowledge is in their head. You can't drag it out unwittingly, despite what the matrix tells you. So, you know, the, the, the type of leader, it comes back to this, you know, being a mentor, the type of leader that pr constantly promotes in newsletters or in talking to other executives, promotes their team and what their team's accomplishments are. You build the kind of relationship where people trust each other. And when you build trust and have trust between team members, you will create you know, innovation just comes and it comes fast and it comes furiously. So, you know, be one of those people that becomes a mentor and promotes their own staff so that you A, become indispensable. In the, in the eyes of the senior management, but also because, you know, once you start to do this, the, the volume, I've seen this in real time, the volume of ideas and their value is outstanding. And you are a blue chip. You're the R&D and the blue chip in a company. When you were talking about the coffee cape or the Starbucks, which I will definitely Google and, and check this out, I think I have the broad brush strokes from the way you described it, but it reminds me of one of the things I teach my clients is what I call professional stalking. <laughs> yes. So I make a very clear distinction between the kind of stalking that gets you put in jail or possibly shot versus professional yep. stalking. And it's going, you know, what I'm hearing from you is it's, it's, Going beyond what most people will do. Most people want to stay in a very tight comfort zone. And in most cases, it, that comfort zone is oftentimes just looking at job boards and applying to jobs online. And when you're willing to be rejected, when you're willing to, maybe you get yelled at, maybe you get ignored, maybe you get, you know, blown off. But if you're willing to go through that because you want this so bad, what you're doing is you're showing that resilience to an employer before they've ever hired you. You're showing so many positive emotional intelligence factors and just, just, fit with the job, you know, leadership skills in the way you're going about looking for the job. 
I, I, totally, and I wish I had said it that way. I'll have to talk to you when I do the next book. <laughs> but you're, but you're, you're bang on. And you know, the reality of the fact is, and you're in the business. Everybody says they're an out of box thinker. Everybody says you know they're innovative. And as you say, it's show and tell time. And and by doing this, you're you're showing them that you actually are an out of the box thinker and creative and innovative. But at the same time, I've been at this now for 35 years, and I don't know anyone that's ever picked up a phone and called a potential employer and been, you know, shot uh, or, or, or electrocuted, you know, through their keyboard or, or, their, you know, their, or, their, or their phone. It just doesn't happen. The worst case scenario is somebody is rude to you and, and you know, or hangs up on you. And this has happened to me many times in my life where people have come ahead on her, right? No one loves a headhunter until they need to love a headhunter. But I've had many, many people hang up on me, swear and hang up. And I, I just call them right back and go, you know, we got cut off. <laughs> and they laugh just like you did, right? They laugh because so many people do this. It's just easier to see who's persistent, who's got the resiliency or who just, you know, who just got creative enough for that one day to do that. Well, I, you know, I do this for a living. I call presidents and CEOs all over the world because that's what I do. I don't like it. Um, I, I actually am. People will testify that I'm not uh, pulling one over on you. I am an introvert. It's just a fact of life. But my job is to find the best leadership for the companies that we represent globally. So I can't afford to be, you know, shy. I am personally, she made a party unless I got my uniform on. So every morning when I do this job, I put on my uniform, you know, it's more, it's more intellectual than actual uh, piece of clothing, but I'll put on my uniform. I've got my list of what I've got to do and I just do it. And I start every day with the hardest thing I'm going to do that day and work my way backwards because by 11 o'clock in the morning, I start most days at six. I'm tired. I'm ready to start the plan the next day. But I've done the hardest thing that I can possibly do. And, you know, in most people now looking for a job have the luxury of meeting voicemail. Mm -hmm. Right. So they don't even they don't even meet a real person. So I always tell people, you know, take the opportunity once you've networked with the newly departed and you understand what someone's issues are. Take the opportunity to actually script out, you know, half a dozen or 10, I used to say 10 voicemail messages that you're going to leave over the next 10 or 20 days to follow up with that person, but write them out and then read them out loud mm -hmm. to make sure they don't sound like you're reading off a textbook You know, read them out loud and then number them. And, you know, when you go to leave the voicemail message that day, it's you leave number one or number three or number five and you just tick them off as you go. And, and you know, the Wall Street Journal did an article on me you know, 10 or 12 years ago. My record is 50 voicemail messages. It took 51 phone calls to get one particular CEO, Motorola Data, on the phone. He just ignored me for the first 50 phone calls. It took two months, and I finally tracked him down. It's a long story. It's in the, it's in the Wall Street Journal. Just Google um, rogue recruiter, David Perry. I'll let the Wall Street Journal tell us the story. But finally tracked him down on the Autobahn in a, in a rented car. And I sort of had his captive. He said, do you have my attention now? I can't get off the damn highway, but let me crank it down to 150, pull over to the side. And we had that conversation, long story short, you know, he did meet with my client and we actually did recruit him and the company did a, a great IPO. So, you know, I practice what I preach. All the stuff that I talk about here is stuff that I've done 
that I've taught my children to do. I love my children. I don't want them to live with me any longer. Thank you very much, wherever you are, the four of you. I've done my part. Get out, do your part in the world. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and I have a lab. When I do the, uh, when I write for guerrilla marketing for job hunters, there's usually, you know, it says a thousand ideas. There's, there's more than that, but I usually have 50 or 60, you know, hardcore tactics around a couple strategies. And every single one of these have, has come out of my lab where I have people that are friends still who are in between opportunities and they know they come to me and go, okay, so what are you going to make me do this time? So we're going to try these two or three things and I make them do it. And, uh, and if they work, they get in the book. If they don't work, they're not in the book. I think what's so important and those who have listened to my podcast regularly have heard episodes where I've talked about your brain and your thoughts and how to how to deal with them in in job search specifically and what I'm hearing from you is it's that primitive brain that wants to come up doesn't recognize the difference between a mastodon at the mouth of the cave and having to pick up the phone and call somebody it perceives that in the same exact way. And so it is up to us to use our executive function brain, our prefrontal cortex, to make those decisions, to be planful and say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to call five people today and then have your own back and actually do the things. Know that you're going to not want to do it. That's that primitive brain, danger, Will Robinson, danger, Will Robinson. And we have to overcome that with our prefrontal cortex and make that executive decision because we can see beyond and we know what we're trying to achieve and we aren't going to let fear hold us back. That was brilliantly put. Well, thank you. Thank you. I think your listeners are getting a lot of value out of this if they're listening. <laughs> <laughs> They are. They're, they tell me. They're, they tell. It's funny because I'll get them on the phone for a consult, and they they schedule a consult with me, and they're like, "Yes, I, I listen to you while I walk my dog or on my on my commute." And so I'm I'm in some pretty interesting places with people, and I take that. I love it. Why don't you talk about? I'm I'm wondering. Does this blue chip thing? vary depending on the level of the position you're in? Is it, you know, are you going to approach all of this differently if you're entry level versus executive? And I think specifically with entry level, I, I can see people going, oh, that's that's not for me. That's for that's for higher level folks than me. So what can you say about that? That's an interesting question. And, you know, we've all been at that point in our lives where we came out of school and we had zero, and I do mean zero, experience. And we're trying to get our first job, and we know that you can't get a job without experience. You can't get experience without a job. And, and so there's two ways around that situation. I'm going to answer that question directly. The first way around that is to volunteer. Mm -hmm. So go get some experience, right? Volunteer, don't get paid, be an intern, whatever. Go create it. Go get the experience. The second way is to own up to the fact that, yep, Lisa, I just got out of university and I got a degree in economics and statistics and industrial relations, and that's not going to get me very far anytime soon. And you're probably not interested in that anyway. However, here's the research I've done on your company, because by the way, for the last three years, I've been doing all tons of research to understand you know, all kinds of things and be able to really explain it. And here's the business that you're in. And, and I would think that someone like you in your business could um, probably use someone who, for the last four years, has shown up 
every single day at class. And some of these, Lisa, are really quite boring. But I've shown up every single day and I will show up every single day that I'm going to work for you. And, and you know, I was there on my own dime for four years listening to these professors. And I got to tell you, I sucked every ounce <laughs> of information I possibly could. I paid a lot of money to go there as I possibly could. And that's what I'm going to do with a company like yours. I'm going to suck up everything that gets thrown at me and I'll be up to speed and running faster than anyone you have ever considered hiring in the past. Now, you know, this is just me on the phone. I'm just looking for a way in. I've called you. You're the CEO. You know, you're the one person that can say yes or no to someone with a lot of drive and a lot of enthusiasm, because your HR department is probably going to say no, as well as your hiring managers. But, you know, if you're willing to take a risk on someone that's got drive and ambition, and, you know, probably as much ambition as you had when you first started out, maybe even more, if I dare say, maybe we should have a coffee. What do you think? I like that approach. So it's sort of, if you have achievements and you can talk about your track record, if you don't have that, you can talk about your potential and your motivation, your energy level, your enthusiasm. And I think also what I see when I work, I don't work primarily with younger clients, but when I do, and, if, and I spent 22 years in university career services, so I've worked with them extensively, I saw that. exclusively for a long time. They don't tend to see what they've done as being an achievement. If you spearheaded your fraternities fundraiser and you raised $7,000 for multiple sclerosis, that's an achievement. And of course, it doesn't compare to somebody who saved $7 million or made $7 million for a big company, but you're not competing with those people for the job. Bingo. And, and Lisa, one of the most important things you just said, so I want to just back up and, and underline this if people didn't get this. you talking about patterns. People have patterns in their life. Achievers, high achievement people have patterns, and it's patterns of achievement. And what you just talked about you know, in your undergrad is what have you done that was out of the normal, that was above and beyond? Because talking about that, and it doesn't matter whether you're working at a job or you're on a football team, it doesn't matter. Package it as an achievement. And that shows patterns. And everybody has patterns in their lives. And all high-performance people identify their patterns early. And CEOs look for people's patterns when they hire them. You know, do they fold at the first tough thing? Or do they persevere? And, you know, that's why one of the things I do, I teach people to do a lot, especially my kids, is, you know, bring your story to the game. When we do interviews, and I teach this in Executive Recruiting for Dummies, I always say, that I have one, I've had one question for the last 25 years. And it's the same question. I always say, roll me back to when you're getting out of college, university, and take me through your, your career and tell me what's important. And it doesn't really matter what they tell me. It, that's not important. What's important is the patterns that I pick up. Mm -hmm. Oh, they got, they got pulled into another company by a mentor because, or they made a decision because they saw something because. Those are good patterns. Or they were the last person out the door on a couple of occasions. That can be a good pattern. Or is there a pattern here that their boss was always, you know, an idiot? Because if it happens once, okay, happens twice, eh, happens three times, no, 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 you're the problem, not your bosses. So 
I teach people to tell stories and I make them tell stories when we're going through the interview process because I want to see what they're proud of and I want to understand their resiliency and their ability to change and pivot. And, and, and you can do that at any level when you're you know, just a new grad or you're a senior executive. And remember, I, you know, to put this in context, the, the lowest salary I ever negotiated was one of the first ones 33 years ago it was for a former boss of mine. I pulled him out of the company that I came out of for $25,000. That's been the lowest. The highest salary I've done the last five or six years was $4.2 million. And, 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 and may, I, may I also offer that that $4.2 million was, we, we originally went out to look for a, a president, actually a VP of sales. And I came back and said, we don't need a president. We need a divisional CEO or president, not a vice president of sales. And we had a, I had a pay package of two seventy five with a three fifty total comp. And in the end, I found the candidate. We went through all the interviews and the board agreed. We came back with a, a three-year no-cut contract for $4.2 million. Mm-hmm. What was the point? The point was we saw, you know, we had 275000 to start with. Well, we paid him a million four. Why? Because he was a blue chip stock. I mean, the first year he was on board, he brought, we put $58 million to the bottom line. So it's all about value and how you package it. And my wife has a record. She did a deal a couple of years, it's two years ago. She did a 10-year, eight-figure deal for a CEO. He did not go out with the premise of finding a CEO and paying them more than $400,000. And clearly we did. We paid him a million four and locked him into a 10-year contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he could articulate the value. No, he knew us. He could articulate the value and we could uh, articulate that back to the employer who essentially says, so I'm going to pay you a little more than 10 million over the next 10 years, probably about 15 million bucks plus bonuses. And you're going to put a, uh, you know, a billion dollars to the bottom line. You know what I mean? So it's all relative, right? Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And, and a couple things that came up when you were talking, one is those stories then become, if you're getting behavioral interview questions, that's where those stories are so handy because you really have to have stories. You can't really wing behavioral interview answers. So yeah. these stories are so useful in crafting questions, answers to questions like, tell me about a time when blah, blah, blah. The other thing, as you were talking, was one of the things we noticed, especially in the second university that I worked at, we had over 30 student workers in our office. This, the university was set up such that if you got a scholarship, certain types of scholarships, almost all of them, you had to have a work requirement. And it was like five hours a week. So it wasn't a big thing. So we had a lot of workers coming in for a very short period of time, which was a, a bit of a management nightmare. But one of the things that we noticed is, There were students who we just knew that they would be successful wherever they went because they got into this so-called small job, a couple hours a week, weren't getting paid per se, and yet they were blowing it out of the water and they were looking for ways to make our program better. They were actually student advisors. So they were the first point of contact when students came into the Career Center to get help before they scheduled an appointment with with one of the full-time counselors. And we would see ones that were like, okay, I want to do this. This isn't, you know, can I do this extra thing? Or here's a way we can improve this. And then we had other folks who just bided their time. They just thought it it was just some stupid little job and it didn't matter. And they did the minimum. And it was such, it was so interesting. I would love to be able to go back and look at these people's career trajectories. But I think you and I both know there would be. Uh 
a vast difference in what they would look like now. Yeah, the, the patterns would be consistent. Their current pattern would be consistent with what you saw. Mm-hmm. I guarantee. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, so listeners on this podcast love actionable steps. So, what are maybe three or four action steps that people could take this week, tomorrow, whenever to become a blue chip stock? I would determine if I was them. I would determine my marketable skills right now. So there's all kinds of exercises. I'm sure you can give them some to determine their marketable skills. And then I would marry up how my marketable skills that I've just determined, how they're relevant inside my current role for my current employer now and in the future. So I'd marry those things up. And then I would I would hone in. I would continue to develop those specific skills. Don't worry about your weaknesses. Nobody hires you for your weaknesses. It's nice that you know what they are, but you know, get over it. Focus on your competencies that you know are going to be needed. You can become a mentor literally overnight. Look for someone that's got promise, either inside or outside your organization, and or start a newsletter. And you know, the last thing I would do if you really want to become a blue chip stock, and I and I mean this quite sincerely, back in 2008, I had a massive stroke, Lisa. I couldn't read, write, walk, or talk. Oh my. Yeah, they, the, the, the industry, ironically, wrote me off, as did a lot of other people. My wife didn't. didn't. And, and, and I mentioned this because the way I got back so quickly was I joined Toastmasters. And people that don't know what Toastmasters are, I'd be surprised, but you can go look it up online. Toastmasters, learn how to speak. Because mm-hmm. everybody talks. Not everybody speaks and fewer people still communicate. You're, you're a brilliant communicator. You pulled great nuggets out of my long rambling stories there. <laughs> that, that brilliant communication. Everybody needs to be able to become a brilliant communicator if they want to become a blue chip stock because you need to be able to articulate your value in terms of with them, what's in it for mm-hmm. me, here's what's in it for you. So I would go and I, I would, that's, those are the things that I would do because I've done these things and I know they work. Hence, you know, they come out of the lab. I know this is actionable. Your point is well taken. We tend to, and I hear this day in and day out from my clients, there's laser focused on what they don't have or what they cannot control. And that's such a disempowering space. You know, I'm 60 something years old, they say, or I'm, I've been out of work for two years or whatever it is. And, and that's, that's such a, again, disempowering place to be because you can't do anything about it. So let's look at what you do bring to the table. Let's figure out how to highlight, promote, and leverage that and, and just, you know, know that there's going to be some companies who will say, yeah, Sue's too old or Bob is, you know, been out of work too long. And we don't want to work for those companies either. We want to find a company who thinks we're the best thing since sliced bread and we feel the same way. Both of us think we hit the lottery and that's where we're going to do our best work. Exactly. And if I can put just a slightly different spin on this, it's been my observation that most people spend more time planning their vacations and planning their honeymoons than they do in managing their marriages. I've been with my partner, wife, now since 1980. We have four kids, and I, and I guarantee you the best 50 years are still ahead of us, and we've had a phenomenal 40 so far. Fantastic. I, I think that's such a, it's very well stated. 
So how can listeners find you? Where where do you live out there in the in the ether, David? Well, I got a bunch of different brands, but the easiest thing for most people would be either Perry Martel, P-E-R-R-Y-M-A-R-T-E-L.com. That's my executive search business. Um, or a new website that we have launched. And, and by the way, we're coming out with a, we are soon to launch the world's largest free job board, but that's for another um, oh, wow. another conversation. I've launched a program called mynewjobhunt.com. And mynewjobhunt.com is essentially the online version of the Gorilla 10-week the 10 week guerrilla job search boot camp that we've dragged across America for the last 12 years. We saved up a million bucks while we were doing it, and we spent the time and that money developing this new website, mynewjobhunt.com, so that everyone in America can go and learn to fish, get their own jobs, and get help from people like you and I, but can do a lot of it themselves so that America in general get going again and get back on track and take care of the rest of the world, which needs America far more than America needs the rest of the world. But that's my politics. And I'm a Canadian, <laughs> by the way. I'm a Canadian. But I grew up at the United States Air Force Academy. So I have an appreciation for America that very few people in, in my world actually understand. So I, I hope that's okay. Uh, that is fantastic, David. Well, it's been great speaking with you. You guys reach out to David and hope that this content has been helpful for you. And I will see you next week. Take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.